Is it on? Yeah, we're on now. Excellent. How am I looking? Am I looking okay? Thank you. I don't know if you've ever found yourself on the wrong side of the tracks, wrong part of the city, maybe at the wrong kind of party. You're there, you're like, hmm, I just don't feel like I fit, I don't feel like I belong. You ever had that feeling? You ever had that sense? I remember in, uh, in high school, I was, uh, I was becoming more and more known as a good basketball player. Schools were starting to look at me. I have to say I was pretty fly for a white guy. <laughs> and uh, I remember my friend and I decided we were gonna go over to our kind of rival school's neighborhood. There was an actual elementary school, this is in Washington, D.C., where uh, legendary pickup games on the blacktop it was starting to get like, that's where we gotta go. So I, we went there and immediately we showed up and I kinda got this sense like, I don't know, if there's, this, there's this strange kind of angry vibe. They knew who we were, they knew who I was. But we just decided let's just jump in. We got into a game. I remember getting a rebound, turning around, and seeing about six or seven guys on top of my friend now who was laying on the ground, and they were kicking him and beating him. And this was, it was immediately an insane kind of scene. I took the ball, I go running to where they were, which is about mid-court, and I take the ball and I throw it at the lot of them, surrounding my friend. It kind of hits a couple of them, ricochets off. They kind of get distracted. My buddy now gets up, bruised, swollen, and bleeding, and he runs to the other side of the fence. And here I am at midcourt with about 10 guys now surrounding me. And I'm trying to negotiate <laughs> a plea deal. Dude, what's going on? I'm sorry. I'm doing my best to talk my way out of it. I start getting kicked from behind, punched from all sides. I'm doing my best to keep them away. You're thinking, man, this, I don't know if we belong here. I don't know if this was a good move. This is the wrong side of town for us. The story gets even more strange. I told you this was an elementary school blacktop. There was probably 50 little elementary kids playing on the playground right next to the court. They came over and surrounded me also. And they are screaming, everyone's screaming, you get out of here. They're screaming at the top of their lungs. Little kids, third grade little cute little kids are screaming curses at me. Like, words I could never, if I said them, I would be fired immediately from the bridge. Little children, it felt like, it almost felt demonic. They are screaming at me. I somehow talk my way out of it. I make my way over. We had a scooter, like a moped, motorized scooter, and a 10-speed bike. Yes, my friends, this was like 1987. 10-speed that was the most speeds right there, <laughs> 10 of them. I tell my buddy, 
dude, you get on the, on the scooter. He was bleeding bad. You get on the scooter, take off. I'll get on the 10 speed. Meanwhile, these guys go over to their car, about 10 of them. They get baseball bats and chains and freaking nunchucks. Wow, this is the 80s, my friend. Like, nunchucks were all the rage. I would practice and hit, it, hit my head. Like, oh, anyone remember nunchucks? They are now walking towards us. My friend who is not a Christian is trying to start the scooter. And he starts going, Jesus, 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 Jesus. It's amazing what, what will cause you to pray. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. I look over and I realize he hadn't turned the key to start. I took, turn it to start, room, and he takes off. I get on the 10 speed, we ride away, the guys run back to their vehicle, pile into this white van, and they follow us. We go into the woods, dive under these bushes. These guys go driving by, and we just lay there frightened. And I looked at him and I was like, I don't think we should come back over here anymore. Whew, he's like, no, we're never coming back. <laughs> you ever been on the wrong side? Wrong side of town, at the wrong party, wrong side of the lake. It can be scary. You can feel out of place. It can be dangerous even. Well, that sets up our story today in Mark chapter five. If you have a Bible, open it. Mark chapter five, there's a Bible maybe underneath your chair. If you wanna use that, you can use your Bible app. And we're gonna read 20 verses. We can do this, 20 of them. We're gonna read them together. I'll read out loud and you read it quietly. Um, let's do this, Mark chapter five, beginning in verse one. They went across the lake to the region of the Gerasenes. When Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an impure spirit came from the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the tombs and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs in the hills he would cry out and cut himself with stones. When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him. He shouted at the top of his voice, what do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? In God's name, don't torture me. For Jesus had said to him, come out of this man, you impure spirit. Then Jesus asked him, what is your name? My name is Legion, he replied, for we are many. And he begged Jesus again and again not to send them out of the area. A large herd of pigs was feeding on the nearby hillside. The demons begged Jesus, send us among the pigs, allow us to go into them. He gave them permission, and the impure spirits came out and went into the pigs. The herd, about 2,000 in number, rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. 
those tending the pigs ran off and reported this in the town and countryside, and the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there dressed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people what had happened to the demon-possessed man and told about the pigs as well. Then the people began to plead with Jesus to leave their region. As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. Jesus did not let him, but said, go home to your own people and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. So the man went away and began to tell in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him, and all the people were amazed. Now, we have to do some work together to really understand fully a little bit more than a reading. We gotta do some work. Fortunately, I did some of the work, so you can just kinda listen to me, but are you ready to do some work? Are you with me? Danny? Okay. First, this is early in Jesus' ministry, and he has had nothing but success. He has stayed in the region that he is from, Galilee, and literally every day, thousands upon thousands of people are coming to Jesus to, to get a glimpse of him, to see him minister, to hear him speak. Every day, massive success. And then one evening... He looks at his followers, and he's like, hey, why don't we go to the other side? Now, we heard this part of the story last week in Mark chapter 4, but this is important to know. The passage last week is, this is the continuation of that story. This is one story. The editors, about a thousand years ago, actually made a mistake, started the chapter, a new chapter here. They shouldn't have done it. It's one story. So we're going to continue it. Now, in Jesus' day, you got to know the other side of the Sea of Galilee was a boundary between two different areas to the area of the west of the lake was Galilee. It's a place where the Bible sometimes calls our side. It was a thoroughly Jewish area populated by traditional and Orthodox Jews, and it had been that way for about 100 years. Now, the most popular and conservative Jewish rabbis lived in Galilee. The best teachers and communicators and speakers were from Galilee. The best healers lived in Galilee. I think even Billy Graham and Joe Osteen lived in Galilee. Now, Rome is ruling during this time with an iron fist, but they maintain a very tolerant presence in Galilee due to the Galilean Jews' support of Caesar. So these are a special group of people in a special region. These Jewish Galileans are regarded as someone that Caesar has kind of have approval over, and they, we, we get to give them a lot of freedom which means there are no Roman legions or troops stationed in Galilee. See, this is our side. We're left alone on our side. We're the right side. We're the good side. Our side is the place of religious 
freedom this side. It's the place where the gospel of Jesus can be heard and take root in people's lives. But then there's the other side. To the east of the lake is this area called the Decapolis. And the term Decapolis, I could talk 20 minutes on Decapolis, but let me just say, basically it's 10 enormous cities, and each of these cities have their own pagan temples and shrines and sports stadiums, brothels, with mass parading of sexuality and violence and death. It's a wicked area, so no Jew would ever go to that side. No Jew would ever even think of doing business over there. The people over there are thoroughly pagan. Now, the most impressive and violent and imposing Roman troop or legion was kept there in that region just on the other side of Galilee. And they were called the 10th Legion of Fratensis. So, Every troop, every legion would have kind of an identifying animal, like a sports team today, the Detroit Lions, the Los Angeles Rams, the Chicago Bears, right? Well, the 10th legion's symbol was a wild pig, an unclean to the Jews, worst of the worst evil kind of animal a wild, hideous, fanged boar. And this legion, Fratensis, was so famous that they, their symbol was put on Roman money. We even have a coin, an ancient Roman coin from this time with this legion on it. Can you show that coin? There it is. You, you're like, well, I can't really tell what that is. Well, we have this, a, a picture of, it, of its standard as well. And this Legion is so famous that even today, if you wanted to have their icon on a face mask, you can order that as well. (laughs) So this is the place, the Decapolis. It's an unclean place for the Jews. It was dark, it was evil, it was oppressive, and it was demonic, and Jesus just disciples, or any Jews for that matter, would never go to the other side. They would never go there. They want to be caught dead over there. And so there is Jesus hanging out with his religious, narrow, rigid followers. And Jesus looks at them and very casually says, let's go over there. Let's go to the other side. And the disciples are like, what, what did he just say? I think he said we're going over. He wants to go over to the Decapolis. What'd you say? Jesus did what? You crazy, Jesus? Or are you, what, are you nuts? Have you lost your mind? We ain't going over there. This is what they're thinking. Jesus is insane. No one goes over there. In fact, if we go over there, just being there, we will be declared unclean. And we're going to have to go through all these cleansing rituals just to go to church. This is insane. We ain't going over there. So, Jesus ignores them. And he insists. They get into a boat, 
And on the way over, we heard last week a terrible storm blows in. And the disciples are thinking, see, Jesus, not even God wants us going over there. This is a bad omen. Read the signs, Jesus. This is ridiculous. And as we found out last week, they wake up Jesus. Jesus wakes up. He says to the wind and the waves, shut up. Immediately they listen. And now the disciples' fear turns toward Jesus away from the storm to Jesus and they say the question that every person, every human needs to answer. Who is he? Who is that? Who is this? Even nature obeys him. Now we get to Mark 5. The story continues. Are you with me? Come on. All right, let's go. (laughs) They get to the other side and most experts tell us Every theologian that I have read this week said this. There is zero indication that the disciples, when they get there, get out of the boat. In this passage, the disciples, they don't get out of the boat. They would never culturally get out of the boat. They're not getting out of the boat. They stay in the boat. And I got to tell you, it kind of sounds like me. I can only go so far, God. I can only do so much. I got to draw the line somewhere. I'll just stay in the boat and watch. You do your thing. You go ahead. So they stay in the boat. They're scared to be in this region. They're scared to be on the other side. This is not their side. These are not their people. Now here's the crazy thing. They land, they dock in a graveyard. The story is frigging getting worse. Another unclean place. Can't go into a graveyard. And running from the tombs, running from the graveyard is a demon-possessed, a demonized man. Gang, this is a scary scene. We got the storm. We got Jesus miraculously calming the storm. Graveyard, demon-possessed guy comes running from the graveyard. The scriptures tell us that this man is so messed up that he's been thrown out of his local community. The people have tried to bind him with chains. He has this supernatural strength because of the demons to rip the chains. He cries all of the time in torment. He cuts himself night and day with rocks until he bleeds. He's living by himself among the dead in the graveyard. This is a scary and an intense moment. And it confirms what the disciples have already been thinking about coming over here. We told you. They get to the other side. And here, my friends, is the reception committee, an insane demon-possessed man coming at them. Well, this guy gets over to Jesus. And he falls on his knees and he says to Jesus, what do you want with us? Son of the Most High God. In God's name, don't torture me. And curiously, Jesus asks him a question which doesn't seem related to what this man has just said. Jesus looks at him and asks, What's your name? I remember playing pickup ball a different time in high school in a different neighborhood 
on a different blacktop. This really big, six foot seven, big, intimidating guy picked me. Hey, I want you to play on my team. I'm like, all right. He goes, uh, what's your name? And I was kind of intimidated by him. I was like, Brock? He goes, Brian? I go, yes. <laughs> I went by Brian all day. <laughs> Well, Jesus asked this guy his name. What's your name? He says, my name is Legion, for we are many. Can you, can you imagine the disciples sitting in the boat watching this scene? Like, oh my gosh, can, dude, can we please go back to our side now? Please. You ever seen... Someone possessed by a demon. I remember the first time I saw a demon-possessed person. It's not like some, this is something you see all the time, but I was 12 years old. We were in church. It was a Sunday night service. And this woman, who was about five foot one at most, at the end of the service started growling. She was on the front row. She walked up to the stage as my dad was praying. My dad at the time was about, he was a big man, about 235 pounds, and this little five-foot-one-inch lady literally grabbed him and picked him up like this. They dismissed the service <laughs> and gathered around this woman and began to pray for her. It was nighttime. It was dark. They even turned the lights out in the rest of the building except for in the sanctuary. We're there for about an hour. My mom calls me over, Brock, now I'm scared, I'm scared. I'm scared of what I'm seeing, with how this woman looks, how her eyes look, how she's behaving, how she is saying things about people that she, doesn't, she shouldn't know about them. It was, a scary, it was a scary scene for a 12-year-old boy. My mom calls me over and she says, Brock, can you head out to the parking lot and grab my purse out of the car? <laughs> you want me to walk by myself down the dark hallways of this scary church already to the dark, blackened parking lot where no one is there to get your purse so you can have a big red, a stick of big red gum? Bring it back to you through the door. Like, I was scared to stay there, and I was scared to leave. I remember going, all right, okay, she's like, please, just, I need some big red gum. I don't know. I remember running, so I think I broke an Olympic record. I was running so fast, I grabbed that purse, shut that door, <laughs> came back, here you go, mom. <laughs> Can I have a piece, too? Now, Legion, my name is Legion. Remember that this is a loaded word. Remember that the 10th Legion for Tensus, they are stationed in this area right here. This is where they are. The most violent, evil, intimidating troop that there is. And what we have, if you're reading the Greek text, we have one Latin word, legio, one Latin word, legion, in the midst of the Greek passage. It's odd. One Latin word. See, this word, out of place word, is a word, it's a reminder of where they are. They do not belong 
here. It's a different people. This region has a system, and Jesus is out of bounds here. It's under the protection of the legion. It's an area controlled by powers, military powers, political powers, economic powers, and spiritual forces, spiritual authorities. And all of these are deeply resistant to Jesus and his ministry. And here's what happens. This legion is afraid, though, of Jesus. He cowers at the presence of Jesus and begs to be sent into a herd of animals. (laughs) Do you remember what the animal is for the legion of that area? They ask to be sent into the pigs. Another loaded word in the story. This particular legion wants to go into its identifying animal. The emblem of its authority. The pig. And it's kind of a contest. It's a game. It's a game. And guess what? Trust me. The pigs are getting ready to lose. Because the lamb is getting ready to do something. Jesus sends the legion in to their emblem. The pigs then run off the cliff into the lake and drown. This is an amazing scene. What an incredible story. And the people's response is actually fascinating. We're told that the people tending the pigs run off to the city start telling people what happened. Like, how would you explain this? You would not believe. Like 2,000 pigs, all of a sudden, ran off a cliff and died. It's crazy, it was like mass suicide. We don't really know what, what? You gotta come see what happened. So all the people come to check out what happened and they see this guy who's been causing havoc over the entire countryside. This man, he's been, they look at him and he's walking around in his right mind. Now I would be pleased to see him. I would be like, oh my gosh, Fred, Fred. You're wearing clothes. You're not, guys look, Fred is clothed. This is amazing. Dude, I never knew you had blue eyes. Look at his eyes. Your eyes look so, so clear. Like, wouldn't you be pleased? This guy, with superhuman strength, has been wrecking the place, disturbing the region for who knows how long, has now just been cured. But the people don't respond like that. You'd think they'd be celebrating, high-fiving, over in Galilee, they'd be high-fiving. They'd be, they would go get every sick person they knew, and they would bring them to the feet of Jesus. Can you believe? Can I get, let's get more. Can you believe this? But not these people. Not on this side. This is the people of the Decapolis. They see this incredible miracle, and they say, get out of here leave. They beg Jesus to go away. Doesn't make a lot of sense. Oh wait, yes it does. These are the people of the Decapolis and Jesus is upsetting the way things are. 
If you're going to do that religious stuff, you go to your side of the lake. You don't belong here. So Jesus gets ready to go away. Now let me just pause. Do you know what kind of power you have? Students, look at me. Do you know what kind of power you have? Kids, do you know that you can say no to Jesus? I've done it. I can resist God in my life. You have that much power. You have a lot more power than you think. You can say no, I've had enough of you. I'm not doing what you say. You can literally disobey God. Ask any adult in here, they know, they've done it. You have that kind of power. You can resist him. The people here resist him, and so Jesus is the gentleman, and he gets back into the boat where the disciples have been the whole time. Now, here comes the turning point in the story. Jesus gets into the boat, and this healed man comes running up to him. Can you see it? He's, people are standing around, oddly upset. I think he's smiling and crying at the same time. Somehow they had extra clothes, and they clothed him, cleaned him up. Can I get, can I get in the boat with you? Can I go back over there with you? Can I follow you? I want to learn to be like you. Can I leave? Can I leave with you? Can I follow you and learn from you and grow in you? I've been, I've been over here my whole life in this darkness, and it has been killing me. It's ruined me. It is, it's enslaved me. And I want to go be with you. And Jesus looks at him and says, no. Nope. For chapters, Jesus has been telling everyone in Galilee, anyone who would listen, come and follow me. Come be one of my disciples. Come on, let's go. Now this desperate man asks him, begs him, to go with him, and Jesus says, no. Jesus looks at him and says, don't follow me back over there. I've got enough religious people back there. You stay here and just tell everyone you can your story. Dude, they're gonna try to shut you up. They're gonna try to dismiss you. They're going to try to make a joke out of everything that you say. They'll try to shut you up, but you just keep telling your story. Keep telling your story. Everywhere you go, just tell your story. How much I changed your life, how I healed you. You just keep telling your story, and then our story comes to an end. It ends with a simple postscript in verse 20. Look at verse 20 with me. So the man went away and began to tell the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And that's it. We never hear what happens to this guy. But we get a hint from Mark a couple of chapters later. It's quite interesting. They come back over 
to the other side, and this time, though, multiple multitudes of people are waiting for them. Thousands of people are waiting for them. This time, he tells his disciples, you go on ahead, and I'll catch up. The first time, Jesus forced them. He brought them over. This time, he sends them. I want you to go over, get out of the boat this time, and you do your thing. When they get to the other side, here's what Mark tells us. This time when the boats dock, great multitudes of people are there with, their, with the deaf and the blind and the sick and the hurting and the marginalized and the broken, and they lay them at Jesus' feet, and he ministers to them, and he heals them, and he teaches them, and the people were amazed. And Mark tells us that the people of the Decapolis praise God. They praise the God of Israel. What? Can you imagine the pagan Decapolis worshiping the one true God? First time, Jesus goes over. No one is there except for some pathetic wretch. This time, thousands are there. Why? Because one person told their story. One guy told his story of the difference that Jesus made in his life. He decided to do what Jesus asked him to do in a region no one would ever expect the gospel to make a dent. Literally, it changes the other side. Come on. Do you feel that? Look at me. I'm bouncing. It changes the whole region. The least likely place to be changed gets changed. The least likely people in the whole Middle East are changed. Revival starts on the other side. That, that side? The heathen side? The pagan side? The sinful side? No, you got to be talking about somewhere else. I think you're confused. There's no way you're talking about the Decapolis. No, 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 no. God changed that region. Jesus broke through. Light broke into darkness. Captives were set free. The sick were healed. People believed. The demonic, they were dethroned. Deliverance, they swept all across the land. The other side met Jesus. They were changed. Hearts had been made new. The depression like left. Joy came in its place. Hope came in its place. Families were restored. Families were brought back together. New life is happening. Come on. No, amen all by myself. <laughs> See, some of us think like our kind of people and those kind of people. It turns out that all kinds of people are Jesus kind of people. What an incredible thing. The gospel of the kingdom, the gospel of Jesus Christ it's good news. It's good news for everybody. And this good news is better news than we ever dreamed of. Here's the deal. Someone had to tell their story. It's got to be told. And it's got to be told on the other side. Think about the other side of your life for a moment. You know the not-so-safe side? The people who sh you shouldn't be hanging around with side? The people who don't want to hear what you have to say side, 
the people who seem closed off to you side, that's the people the gospel is for side. And in this story, all this happened because one person actually obeyed Jesus. When was the last time you obeyed Jesus? See, he put aside what he wanted to do, forgot about what he could or couldn't do, and simply did what Jesus asked him to do. I think I should say that again. It's pretty darn good. <laughs> he put aside what he wanted to do, forgot about what he could or couldn't do, and simply did what Jesus asked him to do. It's as simple as that. The last words in the gospel kind of summarize, even though it's a different narrative, they summarize our story today. Jesus is standing on a hill with his closest friends, his closest followers. After three years of ministry, after his death, burial, resurrection, after a month, over a month of teaching about a thousand people as his resurrected self, he's standing on a hill and he looks at them and he says this, all authority has been given to me. So here's what I want you to do. Go to the other side. Go and tell. Go to all other sides of the world. Go into all the world and preach the good news. Tell them. And here's the cool thing they did. And the world has never been the same. Rome couldn't stop it. So what's the other side for you? Well, I guarantee you, it's the place that you could never conceive of anyone listening. It could be the people that you've given up on a long time ago. There was a kid who started coming to our youth group back east, and uh, he was a mess. He was cool. I loved him. He was a skateboarder like me, and uh, we would go skating, and uh, he started coming every, every week, every Wednesday night. He ended up, after youth group one time, asking to talk to me. I ended up leading him to Jesus, just saying, hey, it's, it's really fun. It's just, you're like, hey, John, I want you to meet Jesus. Jesus, this is John. It's just this little introduction, and he goes, oh, my gosh. And this kid's life is changed. He miraculously gets off of drugs. He starts coming, getting involved in our student leadership program. He starts growing. He's literally a kid, 15-year-old boy, reading his Bible every day. He's taking his Bible to school. It's insane. One day, we meet at Starbucks, and he's like, oh, Brock, I've been praying, and I just feel like um, God wants me to share my story of how Jesus changed my life in front of my whole school. I had this dream, and I was standing in front of my entire school, and I just got to tell them my story. And inside, I'm like, yeah, buddy, that ain't happening. It's called separation of church and state. I don't think that's happening. But I, it, outwardly, I was like, oh, yeah, well, let's pray about it. 
after youth group, every Wednesday night, we would end praying for kids, and he would come up every week, hey, let's pray about that thing. All right. God, open doors. Help him to have an opportunity to just tell his story. Six months go by. Every week, he's coming up for prayer. He's not giving up. He's relentless, annoyingly relentless. And as a youth pastor, I'm kind of managing his expectations. I don't want him to be, to, like, to be disappointed. And I just feel like God wants me to do this. Let's just keep asking. One day, the principal calls him in. John, you need to go to the principal's office. The whole, youth, the whole classroom is like, ooh. Remember that? Goes to the classroom. Oh, excuse me. Goes, leaves the classroom. Goes to the, meet the principal. The principal... Uh, says, John, we've noticed um, something about you. Everyone's talking about it. And next month, we have a school assembly all about drug addiction. And we heard that you got off of drugs. And honestly, all of us have noticed a change in you. And we were wondering if at the school assembly, you could just tell the school how you got off of drugs. Come on. Come on. Come on. He comes running to me. You would not believe. I'm there a month later, sitting in the stands. This kid in front of the entire school tells a story about the darkness that he was in, the insecurity and the fear that plagued him. But he went to a youth group. Someone introduced him to Jesus. Doggone it. I hate when I get emotional. <laughs> and he said, Jesus just changed my life. Just changed my life. Now here's the thing. You're like, oh, that's a cool, that's a neat little story. That school began to change. I'm not joking. John started bringing, his parents had two vans they started making each two trips full of his friends who wanted to come to our youth group to meet Jesus. Kids started getting into Christian clubs and prayer groups and all because a kid went to the other side, the wrong side, the side you're not supposed to share and a door opened and he went, okay, pray with me. Let's just kind of open up our hands. I invite the band to come up. So God, we each have a story. A story of how we are in the midst of figuring you out, in the midst of opening our lives to you, and already some of us are sensing you in a neat and cool way. And we pray for Help us to obey you, Lord. Help us to follow you. Help us to get out of the boat. Amen.